Um, Ian, why don't you handle this one? Uh, Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely the star of this entire movie. <laughs> and he ain't joking. He the funny thing is, do you want to see one of my notes that I've written down? <laughs> Zool, Ian Wood. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Welcome, dear listeners, to yet another episode of Back to the Pictures, and thank you for joining us once again as we take a trip down memory lane. But as Mrs. Doubtfire once said, you don't have to pack your bags because we're going in our minds. This is the movie review podcast that urges listeners, don't talk to anyone, don't touch anything, don't do anything, don't interact with anyone, and try not to look at anything. Just listen to our dulcet tones and you will be in good hands. We are three university friends, the three best friends that anybody could have, with the three best friends that anybody could have, who lived, studied, and danced to cameo together in Manchester between 2005 and 2009. Somewhere in between these three activities, we watched an ungodly number of movies. Now, in our ever cynical and existential 30s, we think it's a perfect time to rewind, rewatch, recontextualize, and, if necessary, ravage these treasured movies from our past. Join us as we dust off motion pictures, movies, flicks, films, features, and, of course, pictures from a simpler time. And to get the business out the way first, please, a humble token of goodwill is required. If you even half like this little show we put on, even if it gives you cause to smile for one moment of your day in this dreary, rain-soaked dystopia, please hit that subscribe button for us. And if you want to go the extra mile, please leave a generous review. It's how we help the podcast grow and will eventually lead to us dominating the airwaves. Thank you. I am one of your hosts, Ben. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Rose. I'm Anton. If there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. Ogundimu. And I'm Ian. Oh, Dana, it's you. I told you it was a drugstore. Just ordered some vitamins and stuff. It was about 20 minutes exercise. And I taped a 20-minute work on a machine, but played it back at high speed. It only took 10 minutes. Got a great workout. I was a plenty of low soda, mineral water, and beers and foods on my house. Listen, I'm having a big party at my house on my clients' fourth back now, but no your own tax returns. You shouldn't do that. Like, I'm stopping by a neighbor or not? Green. <laughs> yes! Yes, Ian! Oh, my Wait. God! Wait, Why am I how, how, one? How, how are you able to read that read. you can't read Absolutely. the page? Exactly! <laughs> Passion. Love. <laughs> how the fuck? That was mad. You ne- like, he just, oh, he, you didn't mess up once. He didn't breathe. I didn't breathe. I'm dying. Do you know what the funny thing is? I generally do think a Rick Moranis line would be brilliant in this. Because in my opinion, right? So let's go straight into it. He's got the best lines. You know, Rick Moranis, you know like that scene of the party? You know, yeah. not a single part of that was written down. Nope. None he of that had, was in the script. No, 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 he, no, no, no. He, he created That's all of that. That's amazing. All of it. Unbelievable. 
<laughs> you mean when they're walking, he's like, this is Joan yeah. and Archie got uh, eating everything. When he's talking, before absolutely. The salmon. All, all of the, it. All the tax information he, he he researched beforehand. Oh, that is incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. I was, and I was thinking that line would be amazing to do, but no, I'd never get it done. But Ian, hats hats yeah. off. Hats off, Ian. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. <laughs> Made me laugh. He, just him, him doing it, not me doing it. Mm. Him doing it. That cracked me up. That was brilliant. <laughs> so, was some, some of the other contenders that I had was, uh, of course, may I please see the storage facility? But yeah. I wanted to say, uh, that's a big Twinkie. And um, <laughs> the other one was, uh, my father thought he was Saint Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> but there are so, like, just random, random lines, like the one you was like, Dogs and cats, massive living together, mass hysteria. Like that was <laughs> that was brilliant. I love that. But the one that took me this time, I, I I know I've heard it before, but when he's like, "No job is too big, no, no fee, fee is, is too, too big." big. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, do, you know, do you know what I laughed at a lot more this time round? I love when he goes, "How you doing, Lenny? <laughs> We're in a real fix here, Mike." <laughs> what? What? <laughs> The mayor and the archbishop. I know exactly. It's, it's such a weird, like, it's such a weird thing. Like, I was like, is that archbishop, uh, bishop, someone? Like, I had to go look him up. I was like, was this like a special guest or something? Because the way they're just talking, yeah, because like, he calls him, he says, "Your Eminence." Yeah, exactly. I was like, what? <laughs> it's like it's the archbishop. They're on first date, <laughs> and he slaps him in the face. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. It's just so weird. Tell me, and before I say it, the word doctor is especially relevant this episode. Tell me, Dr. Agundamu, where are we going this time? Thank you, Dr. Rose. We are going back, way back, way back to before even any of us were born, to 1984. And the film is Ghostbusters. I'm doing the walk right now. You can't see me, but I'm doing the walk. Hey, hey. I'm ready to believe you. Okay. <laughs> that should have been it. I love that. I'm Ben. We're ready to believe you. I believe you. <laughs> that was brilliant. All our reviewed movies are rated U. This stands for University Standard. And seeing as students generally have lower standards than most other classes of people, viewer discretion is advised. I'm going to need you to fact check me, but I'm going to do all of this off you know, off the cuff. Um, so this this is a sci-fi comedy horror classic uh, that came to us in the form of a giant slaw. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, <laughs> no, so it came to us in the form of a gigantic uh, blockbuster movie of 1984 dispatched by Columbia Pictures. Um, again, Anton, please fact check me because I know that you know this stuff. It was released on June 8th and the budget was $30 million. Ooh, and close, close, yeah, yeah, pretty much. So it's definitely June eight. Budget was like so they they weren't definitive on the budget because, funny enough, the whole budget thing itself was a bit of a joke, right? Where originally they wanted the plan for the original treatment was going to be a lot more money, and they were like, "No, we can't do this film." Um, and then <laughs> Ivan Reitman would basically just went uh, twenty five million, <laughs> and he just basically took one of his films. I can't remember which one it was, and he just tripled it in his head and was like, "Yeah." I'm sure that'll do <laughs> when he had no idea so it pretty much was like 25 to 30 million so you're pretty much on the money yeah and i believe that it grossed just under 300 million at the domestic <laughs> box office nailed it 295.2 million although that is i think that's the that's the updated 
number, if I remember correctly. And it was directed by the incomparable and now forever immortal Ivan Reitman. It was written by Dan Aykroyd and the late, great Harold Ramis, mm. who also starred in the film alongside Bill Murray, Rick mm-hmm. Moranis, Sigourney Weaver, Ernie Hudson, and Annie Potts. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite simply, this movie is about three eccentric scientists who, after getting canned from their university uh, I guess, funded research gig. They open up their own business specializing in paranormal investigation and elimination. It, it's actually crazy. Like, for me, obviously, I, I know I know Dan Aykroyd from my, like, other films. Like, not obviously know so much, too much about his background, but even know that he was a writer himself, right? So that was, that was kind of like a shock when I first found out originally when I was, like, slightly older than the kid. Obviously, the first time I watched him when I was a kid, I had no idea. But the amount of, the amount of paranormal lineage if you will that dan Aykroyd comes from is unbelievable like i knew none of this it's his, just, his family it's, are like the foremost it's m- like genuine he was practically writing about himself and his family <laughs> it's, actually, really? it's actually mate check this out check this out so um he inherited it from his father who wrote the book a history of ghosts his mother claimed to have seen ghosts grandfather experimented with radios to contact the dead and his great grandfather was a renowned spiritualist. So yeah, just just a general interest that he's had for for ages. Um, even the film himself that he got the idea of from kind of other mid twentieth century uh, kind of comics by Abbott Costello, uh, Abbott Costello, Bob Hope. So hold that ghost, the Ghost Breakers, Ghost Chasers. So yeah, pretty much the early Ghostbusters. It should be said, the three of us uh, did not watch this movie for the first time together. Nope. Perhaps, perhaps not even the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or twentieth. Mm, probably but not. over the years, we must have watched this movie together, I don't know, like six, seven, eight times. Yeah, quite a few times. <laughs> so the funny thing is, for me, right, and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. Whenever I think Ghostbusters, I immediately think of Ghostbusters 2. Right, and that's, well, fucking great film. I, like two better i'm just gonna say like most people don't apparently it's like number one i think i know there's no one without there's no two without one but like for me when i think ghostbusters i just instantly think and it, 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 let's face it it's probably due to bobby brown's tune do you know what i mean huh. it's like it's like ben 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 knows me well enough to know how much that tune is so it's like for me that was like so for two seconds i was just and like where's the film where's the good oh for real to take control. We got, we got, we got, we got, we got, we got. I had to put it in, <laughs> but for real, like genuinely, that's the, that's the that's the like when I think Ghostbusters, I think number two. I didn't realize that till I watched this, and I was just like, wait a minute, where's the ooze? <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, wrong film. I like to think shocking bigger scenes i think from the second one that stick in my mind like the court scene was absolutely incredible yeah uh, i found the painting more haunting than yeah Gunsan. i think it just so they refined mm. what they were doing i think in the second one yeah but i think i'm sticking with the first one as, as my favorite i love the setup i love them going from nothing to the ghostbusters so yeah i mean what can I, let me ask what is your relationship with this movie so right I've got a relationship with Ghostbusters, okay? And funny enough, so Ben Ben will know this. For ages, right, the first thing I ever watched of Ghostbusters was the cartoon. 
And as you can imagine, with the song from Ray Parker Jr., the dance at the end that my dad always used to do, and that was like one of the big things that made Ghostbusters stick in my head, right? I thought the film was motion picture of the cartoon. Mm. And it wasn't until I realized, oh, no, 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 this came out like way before the cartoon, right? So for me, in my head, the relationship, when I think Ghostbusters, if I'm being completely honest, I first and foremost think the cartoon. That's the first thing that sticks in my head. Um, so it was kind of almost mind-boggling to be like, yo, there's a film. And actually, the film did so well, they created the cartoon off the back of that. Because I watched, I man, I, ki- I killed the cartoon. I watched so much of it. For me, uh, it's a family affair because the the movie is just lauded in my house as as a family favorite. Everyone knows every line. Me and my brother are huge fans, and we both agree it's in our top ten of all time. But I think Ghostbusters for me is immortalized. Well, it's immortalized in the Rose House due to a very funny family video from Universal Studios in California in 1989. Have I ever told you guys this story? Don't think I can Don't, remember. Mm, it. No. I, can, did, I don't know if I don't know if I'm just kind of you know putting two and two together, knowing like your family's history and the kind of the, their their links to universe, etc. Uh, but uh, let, let me let me set the scene right. So you know how my brother, who has been a guest on the podcast before, uh, at ten years old, he was he was goofy, and we were at Universal Studios, Florida. So it's 1989. I must be four. He was just, he was 10 already. We're in a massive Universal Studios rally. Uh, it's on a, it, it's, it's, it's like about a thousand people facing a, a stage. And on the stage, they've got the ET bike. And there's this guy, this compare who, uh, is choosing a kid from the audience. There's like, you know, at least like 500 kids. Uh, he's choosing a kid from the audience to come up and, and sit on the bike and be interviewed, right? Uh, so lo and behold, uh, there's Adam with his big, big glasses and his bob haircut. And he gets selected to sit on the bike uh, and answer some simple questions. We all sat in the audience. That's me, uh, mum, dad, and Sarah. My dad's filming it with his old Panasonic uh, handheld camera. So the guy asks Adam, So, Adam, here we are at Universal Studios. You're on the ET bike, and there's over a 1,000 ET fans waiting to hear one answer from you. What is your favourite movie of all time? And 10-year-old Adam says, Ghostbusters! (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, the whole crowd goes, (gasps) like full silent. And the only audible voice is my dad who says, fucking schmuck. (laughs) (laughs) That is freaking brilliant. This is on video. That's amazing. That is amazing. amazing. Didn't sell out at all. Absolutely, just like yeah, absolutely. Ghostbusters. That uh, that that day still haunts him. He still wakes up screaming, Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> that was right. brilliant. But it's better than waking up being like, "Fucking, I said ET. I didn't mean it." <laughs> the pressure. Yeah, exactly. Every, everyone thinks I love ET. I don't. <laughs> the, the innocence of a child was corrupted that day. <laughs> that's, it's so it's so it's so good. That, that's perfect. Ghostbusters again. I I don't remember. I remember the toys, first of all, to be honest. Like, I don't know in what order it was. We must have watched the cartoons first, I would think. Uh, but it, it was strange because my brother was definitely way more into Ghostbusters than I was. But I remember loving it because it was one of the few games you could play together, if that made sense. Like, 
with yeah co-op i found it easy that one of you's like ghosts and like it was a co-op thing like you what say, did you have it on what, you could what system be. um we actually had the figures to play with but we were hooked on i think it was the spectrum where you put the the cassette into the spectrum yo and push play and it would take like an hour to load and we would watch each other like hot, like it was incredible. And you go and catch ghosts. Our, our cousin, who was like twelve years old, uh, showed us how to play it. Uh, and th- there was no mouse. I think it was only a keyboard, if I remember correctly. And we were addicted to to that. So that sort of hooked us into to Ghostbusters. But um, I tell you what, the Ghostbusters game was better than the ET game. I tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's just put that shit out there right now. <laughs> let's, just, let's just put that shit out there right now. Absolutely. For ages, right? For ages, right? Okay. <laughs> for ages, I just, I just literally, you know, when you have like a memory just pop into your head, the Michelin Man. Yes. For ages, really. I thought me. that dude was the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Yes. We used yeah. to drive past a garage every Sunday on the way to church, and I'd just be like, "Look, it's the Ghostbuster place." Yeah. <laughs> every like for ages, I thought the Michelin Man was so- the Stay Puff. Uh, was it Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? Stay Puft made no sense to me as a kid. Yeah. I was like, oh, they've made up a sweet. I was like, are we meant to know, you know. It was a kid, you're like, oh, they've just made up a sweet sort of thing. It's- the Michelin Man came first, so I, I'm surprised they got away with it because it's pretty much an exact ripoff. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. For ages, I thought that was the... Uh- corporate mascot meets corporate yeah. mascot. <laughs> they should uh, just have it out. They, the producers weren't going to called it Ghostbusters. It was actually titled Ghost Smashers, even though everyone loved Ghostbusters. And it wasn't until the filming uh, on location in New York happened, and there's the scene where everyone's chanting Ghostbusters. The producers called the studio from the set and from location, and they held the phone up and said, you need to listen to the crowd chanting Ghostbusters. They said, listen, you've got no choice, man. You've got to pay for the copyright. And so they were like, yeah, shit, we need to. So they did. Oh, wow. Nice. I, I tell you what actually happened. So Frank Frank Price, who was the uh, executive of Columbia Pictures at the time, um, they because they, they weren't going to pay, they couldn't use this particular show, the, 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 the show name, because it was called The Ghostbusters, which is a, a children's show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was owned by Universal Studios. Then it turns out eventually Frank Price becomes the head of Universal Pictures. And then he sells the name to those guys so that they can use it for half a mil. I think the real Ghostbusters cartoon had scarier moments than anything in the film. So, so some of the film, some of the film, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Like there's, there's, there's a bit, we'll, we'll obviously kind of come to, oh, well, well, I might as well just mention it now. When Sigourney Weaver's in the chair and she, and she gets dragged it. Oh yeah. my Lord. Yeah. Even, even I was like, even just like, like yesterday, I was like, whoa, what? What? <laughs> That's a lot. It's one of the best things they, they did, I think, in this film is they do a great job of handling the com- comedy and separating it when you're going into the spooky parts. Yeah. And I think the music and the mood definitely changes that. And absolute respect to the, the camera work because there's parts where you feel like you're stalking Absolute. the person who's going to get scared. I was, I was going to mention that in the library, like that, in that, yeah. the way they followed the, the older lady in the, in the library. And then even the parts where 
um, they're walking through and Egon's at the front and they follow Egon and he's, and I was just like, this is actually really, really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you got like, it was, it was so well done. But I mean, even the original, the original, what they actually wanted goes was like Dan Aykroyd's first like treatment was completely different and far oh, scarier. Gosh. Actually, it was nuts. It was like Bill and Ted's Ghostbusting adventure from, from the sounds of it. It, it was it was the uh, multiverse before there was a multiverse. I, I, it was set in the future. There was like loads of Ghostbusters. They were like there were dimensions. They were they were like yo. It was yeah. It was crazy. Harold Ramald Ramis came on board. and was like, you need to fucking chill your roles. Reitman Reitman had a lot to do with that as well. Funny enough, he was like, look, I think this would just work better like in in mm. New York, and if it was just realistic because it's the eighties. Everyone's starting up. Let's see how you guys started, and then Ramis then came in and the way the way that I could kind of describe himself he said he was like a, he saw himself as like a sync writer he's like he wrote what the stuff that he thought and he wrote like comedy and plot lines and stuff like that and then gave it to Ramis and then Ramis just rewrote it and they both basically did that to each other's work to then eventually find like uh, a a tone that worked for the film yeah, that was he, kind of originally set by writing but isn't that amazing that you can have a relationship with someone like a, a, a what's the word a professional relationship where you you both know that you're there to cover the other shortcomings. Absolutely, and and you're okay with it. Absolutely, yeah, the the trust of you putting in, say, you put do a week's work, you do forty hours or eighty hours fucking writing, hand it off to someone who then is going to delete forty hours of what you've put in or thirty hours of what you've put in to make it better and improve it. The the trust and the the respect you must have for each other in the work. Mm. At, at one point, at one point, they literally all just got together, and they and literally all three of them were just in the ba- in a basement. So they started doing it separately, and then towards the end, they all just got together. That's um, in an area where uh, that I quoted, I can't remember the, the area where it was called. Um, it rang above me, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, yeah. and they all literally just got together in a basement and just did that, and then just. Got, it, it, I was gonna say bang out, but that sounded a little uh, bit different. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, in my, my got Martha's in yard in a basement, banging it out, banging it out. You know what I mean? They slimed each other. <laughs> um, I, I think it's it, thing is, it, it wouldn't be just uh, you know Dan Aykroyd uh, handing it over and, and them saying this is ridiculous. We're going to rewrite the whole thing. It was them doing that and then giving it back to him. And be like, listen, uh, we probably made it more boring. You that you now need yeah, to yeah, yeah, choose exactly it up again. That, exactly that. Exactly that. And like Ian exactly says, that. it's the it's the respect and the admiration you have to have for each other. It's like even you know, like well, I say Bill Murray's lines. I mean, loads of them were ad libbed, but even the tone of Bill Murray's character and how he's going to play it, because Howard Ramis knew him so well from, I think it was from SNL. He was uh, just like... And Caddyshack, yeah. And Caddyshack. He was just like, nah, don't worry. Cool. I know, I know him. I know, I know what we're going to be writing. I know what, we're just going to write this for Bill Murray and didn't let him do his thing. It's crazy. Yeah, you, you can get a copy of the original script online. Any, you can get it from anywhere. Just Google it. Uh, and you will see how... Not This isn't a knock on Aykroyd or Ramis or uh, Reitman. But you could see how Bill Murray made Venkman. Like, mm. he was a pretty two-dimensional guy. The comedy was not there. Mm. Almost every one of Venkman's funniest lines comes from Murray. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll, get, we'll get there anyway. Um, should we run down the cast quickly? Yep, might as well. Bill Murray. Now, for me, he is right there with Tom Hanks, as in I've seen mostly his entire filmography from Scrooge to Groundhog Day, Quick Change, Lost in Translation, 
Kingpin, Stripes, Caddyshack, Meatballs, uh, all that Wes Anderson stuff. Like, I just, I, I it, it would appear from Hollywood gossip that he is a little uh, impertinent, or for lack of a better term, maybe not a particularly easy fellow to work with. Uh, the word crawl has also been used from time to time. See, it's funny. It's funny. And it's funny. First of all, it's funny you mentioned Tom Hanks because he was considered for the role <laughs> as well. As were, okay, check this list out. Michael Keaton. I can kind of see it. I, I can, can kind of see, see it. Keaton for Vankman. Mm. Yeah. Chevy Chase. That, no. that, 100%. 100% that would work. Tom Hanks as well. I can see that. Robin Williams. Probably a little, probably a little bit too energetic. Steve Gutenberg. Probably ever so slightly not energetic enough, but again, kind of, kind of work. And Richard Pryor. Wow. wow. Didn't know Richard Pryor. C- correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Jim Belushi the, he was, it, him and Ackroyd. It, it, was, an, it a was a It was 100% meant to be, as in it was written for Jim Belushi. And unfortunately he passed away, which mm-hmm. is one of the things that's kind of started the, the retreatment. Uh, right. Of the characters because Where originally, would I know Belushi from the the guy um, that we're talking about, John Belushi. He started with Saturday Night Live, and he was right in there with uh, Ackroyd and Ramis and Chase. And probably his biggest role was Blues Brothers. Um, right, I, yeah, I know him from Blues Brothers, uh, but but most people would know him from Animal House. Yeah, Blue Brothers would be the one you know from I can for sure. his face as soon as you said that. Yeah, so. and which he obviously did with Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of which, Dan Aykroyd, another comedy icon, uh, genius as we've said in many ways. Not sure. I'm not sure we should get carried away with his biography because, like, I could talk all day about his like like what you brought up earlier, Anton, about his. He's uh, such. He's such family. a like. He's such a. It's like. I can think of so many films that Dan Aykroyd is in, and it's in my, it's like in my head and stuff. But it's it's funny how it's almost Dan Aykroyd the person that yeah. is the bigger thing, more interesting you know I mean? than the character yeah. he plays. Yeah, he um, he, he's he's more or less known for his eighties comedies like Trading Places, Dragnet, uh, Spies Like Us, Great Outdoors, Blues Brothers. Um, some people might be like, "Oh, it's a dad from My Girl," because that's what my wife said. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, just, just another once in a lifetime, never to be repeated actor, comedian, writer, polymath. He's a polymath. Mm, yeah, yeah. Harold Ramis, uh, the unsung hero of the Ghostbusters. He is so distinct, you could never ever forget him. Absolutely not. Like he owned this role, and I think he's an example of this movie's like beauty overall. He made it cool to be a scientist. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I was a kid, 100%. I was like, I want to be one of these guys. I think it's because, again, even Egon for me, like he, Egon in the cartoon looked like Howard Ramis. Like the other ones, they did kind of, they, but they weren't really, Egon and Howard Ramis were the same person. Like so, in, so every, blonde in every, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> true that, true that. Yeah, exactly. He said he had blonde hair. Yeah, true that. But it, they, he, they captured Egon's look perfectly. Do you know what I mean? And he, he was one that, in, when I think Ghostbusters, funny enough, when I think Ghostbusters, I actually think Egon straight away. He's the one I always think of. Sadly, uh, Ramus has been gone now for the fuck, like nearly 10 years. Yeah, 2014, uh, he passed away, unfortunately. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's more a pro- of a prolific director than an actor because yeah. he directed uh, Groundhog Day, um, National Lampoons, A Vacation, Caddyshack, uh, Analyze This. So 
you know he's a, he knows fu- he knows what's fucking funny. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, him and Bill Murray feuded for over a decade. They wouldn't speak to each other um, wow. because because of uh, how basically they clashed on the set of Groundhog Day. Uh, many people say it was Murray being a cunt. Uh, according been... according to Big Bill, they reconciled just before you passed, but you never know with these things. I love that they, they still made them all. And I think this is one of the reasons why they came across as cool and you wanted to be them is despite Bill Murray being the mouth, they all showed that they had charisma and they all had mm. confidence. So- to the point, to the point, they were like, oh, we need someone to lead the Ghostbusters. And again, it was always meant to be like uh, Peter Venkman was going to do that. And then Haramus was like, no, there is no leader. They're all their own characters yeah. and they all make their own decisions. And they're all, the, the, they all, they're all in charge of their own fates, which worked perfectly because there was that synergy between all of them. Where you know, there's often the conversation of the forgotten fourth Ghostbuster played by Ernie Hudson, yeah. who is underrated in for general. Real, for real, man. For but real. For, for someone who was cast just to play a character that was he was written for exposition. He was mm. written because he had to ask the questions that the audience had He was the normal person. Yeah. He was the normal yeah. person in all of this. And that really, really worked do you know who was? Do you know who that was written for originally? I know, I know, but let's ask. Let's see if Ian knows. Think Ian, nineteen eighties. Which black comedian was? Do you think was prime? Short, please. There's no way is it Eddie Murphy. Absolutely, Bingo. Eddie Murphy. Oh. He would have taken half. <laughs> oh God. Half, <laughs> half, half. Reitman. <laughs> so yeah, originally, and then, and then um, because when John Belushi died, that's when they actually changed it again as well and even uh, even Winston's Winston's story was completely different as well um, yeah. which is a shame to hear because he had a whole entire backstory it was kind of far more much more character story he was meant to be like a retired and army demolitions expert um, yeah. with an entire backstory and then like you pretty much got on set and they were like cool this is the new script and annoyingly oh. any any Hudson agreed to it after reading the first one was like because loads, loads of people were just like done Rick, they gave him Rick Moranis the, the 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 script and he was like cool yeah in an hour he was like yep sign me up and unfortunately it was the same thing with Hudson and then he changed it just before they started filming and he was like well I I just turned down a gig to do this mm. and now you're saying that you you you're watering down my role however one uh, Ernie Hudson's a kind of actor where he's like listen the audience don't need to know the backstory as long as the actor does absolutely right? uh, and two he turned. Winston into a living, breathing fan favorite. He's Absolutely. probably got the most iconic line in the entire franchise. Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. And I, I haven't. I, I'll be honest. I haven't seen him in many other things because, but then he's so iconic as Winston. But I, you know, my favorite uh, post Ghostbusters uh, appearance is the Crow, and he looks fucking good for his. He own. looks re- mad. He's re- like. Dude is buff as hell. Black don't crack. <laughs> Absolutely. He looks ridiculous. He looks better than he did in Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, currently starring in Quantum Leap. Yeah, 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 he what? is. He is. Wait, what? Excuse me? The new, he, new, the new, he, new, Quantum the new Quantum Leap. Um, Ian, why don't you handle this one? Uh, Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> Yeah, uh, absolutely the star of this entire movie. <laughs> and he ain't joking. He the funny thing is, do you want to hear one? Of, do you want to see one of my notes that I've written down? Go on. <laughs> Zool, Ian Wood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
nailed it. Funny enough, I I think I knew her. Like to me, she's just iconic as aliens. Aliens will always be like the top. You know, she almost didn't get this. She almost didn't get this part because this was after Aliens, so they were like, she. She's, she's too, too big and she's too yeah. serious. Do you yeah, know what I mean? It's yeah. like, this is Ripley. How are we going to put... Ripley's just going to go in and just rip these monsters, these ghosts up. You're like, what? I just yeah. came from space and dealt with acid-eating brain aliens. Like, what? <laughs> you know what I'm going to do with some... Zor, come here. Gorg? Zor? What's your name? I don't care. <laughs> can, can I say, when... You know the scene that you mentioned, Anton, where the arms come out the chest? Mm. You know, just before that, where she sees the light coming from the kitchen and she yeah. turns slowly. Did yeah. anyone expect her to start saying, you are... My lucky star, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, really, yeah. But apparently, she actually did. She actually did comedy in in university in oh, the, the prominent acting school. I think it was Yale. She went to. I think, I think it was. It probably works with someone else. Not adding someone else trying to be funny, like. I, like the lines when they're like they they're spamming off all the stuff about what ghost it could be or she could be crazy or it could be in her family. She's like, oh, I don't believe in any of this. You know, it's just like that's that's all you need. That yeah, was, it's true. It's true. Like, that's all right. So like, no, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's just like as much as she set up a lot of the lines, but um... I think yeah, I think you two nailed it uh, on the head. She is a perfect uh, blend because she does fucking serious roles. Like, have you ever seen Gorillas in the Mist? Oh man, one, oh, of the big, one, of her, one of her biggest ones, isn't it? Man, I absolutely the... love that. Yeah, and uh, based on a true story as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And obviously, Alien. She's she's hardcore, but then Alien she's too. she's fucking hilarious in Galaxy Quest, Heartbreakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, course, I was right. Yale School of Drama, where she she actually did her comedy. That's where her comedic background came from. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. She's crazy. she's more or less Hollywood royalty. Oh come on, mate! Still, still, it's funny because you know when you like do the research on this and you click on the person's name and you expect to see the film that you're looking at, right? Mm. And I clicked on Sigourney Weaver and I just had to keep scrolling all the way down to freaking side <laughs> till I eventually got to Ghostbusters because yeah. Jesus Christ, that woman has done so much. Well, she she trans her career transcended after the 1980s because she oh, went absolutely she, she went from being. Uh, you know the, the the leading lady, hot, or, you know, really hot, or or either really tough, to just doing an insane amount of roles to the point now where she, you know, Avatar, Cabin in the Woods, absolutely, like, such, a, such a bizarre range of films. She could do anything. Exactly, Heartbreakers for Christ's sake. <laughs> do you right. know what I mean? R- random, she, random she films. She still nails it, and she still nails it. I'll tell you what. If the fanboys could choose Goza's form, they would choose Sigourney Weaver. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, there's two more people that really deserve a shout out in the cast uh, section of this podcast. One is Rick Moranis. Yep. Absolutely nailed Lewis Tully. Nailed. He, like, again, this is another performance where people won't know or won't understand or won't realize what Rick Moranis brought mm. to that character, like, genuinely. Because originally it was going to be. Um, um, no, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. I know it. Uh, Ian. I've got. Uh, yes, uh, Anton, you'll know it from my description. Yeah, there was there was someone who had originally signed on to play um, Lewis Tully. Think of another eighties actor who is physically the exact opposite. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way of putting it. Who, who's the guy? Have I, have I like I don't know why this guy's popped into my head, but the guy from Jurassic Park that get killed killed by the spitter. That, uh, uh, no, no, but you know, but I can't. Yeah, yeah. You're much, kind of much, mm. much more famous actor. Yeah. yeah oh, what yeah. about the guy from that? Um, 
Uh, Uncle Uncle Buck. Call him by his name, you fuck. <laughs> the dude from Uncle Buck. Yeah, what's his name? Uh, Show some respect. Uncle Buck. John oh. Candy. Can, can you imagine John Candy being like, I am the key master. <laughs> Get your fucking hands off the corner. <laughs> Here's the funny thing, right? So Tully, the Tully that we saw, all Rick Moranis. Yeah. Purely created by him, right? The, the tally that John Candy wanted to do, he wanted to do him in a German accent with loads of German shepherds. Yeah, they, they were like, yeah, uh, great, but no. They were like, we've already got enough dogs in this film. It's it's all good. And we're not just talking about Bill Murray. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> L- lastly, I, I, I really think we need a shout out for Annie Potts. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Plays Janine, and do you know that she, this fucking actress was thirty-two years old when she played Janine Melnitz? Really? Yet somehow she's able to portray a character who looks like she's had the street smarts of centuries. Yeah, exactly. She is exactly. so authentically New York in this film, and yet the actress is from Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> the funny thing is, you know, like they they had to when they got her, they they basically had to get her on because obviously you know that the, the production of this film was so quick, right? Mm. Um, and they had to film all the New York scenes. It started in like, uh, I can't remember when it started particularly, but like they had to get it done by like, at least the New York scenes by, uh, Christmas, December, uh, 1980, um, in December, uh, of that year because of the, the weather in New York. But they pretty much got her on set and then they were just like, look, we need you to just go now. And they just rushed her on set and she literally just ran up, like grabbed some, uh, one of the production, Props like glasses, put it on her, put it on herself, and then just did the character, and just like just nailed it. We got one, <laughs> yeah. So before we take Miss Barrett back to her apartment and check her out, let's play the trailer. Ghosts. Hello, Ghostbusters. They're real. You do. You have. They're here. <laughs> Ghostbusters. Hey, anybody see a ghost? They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. They're armed. They're dangerous. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. They're professionals. Oh, I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. You see it? They're all that stands between you and the end of the world. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. You want this body? Is this a trick question? Got your stick? Hold! Heat him up! Smoke him! Make him hard! Ready! Ghostbusters. Starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, 
Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis. Coming to save the world. Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters. This is the point where we warn you, moving forward, spoilers come thick and fast. Faster than a non-terminal repeating phantasm or a class 5 full roaming vapor. A real nasty one too. So if you want to pause the podcast here and go and watch the movie, that's cool. Or if you don't mind, let's continue on. Who is this? Who is this person? Like genuinely, who the fuck is this? Like, why, why are you just whipping this shit out with like I'm no fucking drunk, motherfucker? <laughs> He's been crossing the streams. What the fuck is going on? Like, who is this person? Genuinely, can can I can I rain? Can I piss on the bonfire? Though I did. Anyone else hear it dip? When yes, it, it did. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't the vapor. It was when he said a real nasty one. It cut off. Yeah, Ian, you're it gonna cut have to cut off a little again. bit. Yeah, cunt. Yep. I'll I'll count you in. Three, two, one. This is the point where we warn you, moving forward, spoilers come thick and fast. Faster than a non-terminal repeating phantasm or a class 5 full roaming vapor. A real nasty one too. So if you want to pause the podcast here and go and watch the movie, that's cool. Or if you don't mind, let's continue on. Perfect. And I repeat, who is this? (laughs) Genuinely. After... After Columbia University parapsychology professors Peter Venkman, Ray Stance, and Egon Spengler experienced their first encounter with a ghost at the New York Public Library, the university dean dismisses the credibility of their paranormal focus research and fires them. The trio responds by establishing Ghostbusters, a paranormal investigation and elimination service operating out of a disused firehouse. They develop high-tech nuclear-powered equipment to capture and contain ghosts Although business is initially slow. We start at the iconic New York Public Library. Lauren will tell you in 2019 when we were in New York, we went there and I made her recite so many lines on camera. <laughs> I, you know, I got her to say, my father thought he was St. Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I've got to admit, like that first scene, like the way it's, the way it's done and set up, you know how they set up the whole thing where you, you go straight to the library you walk with the, uh, I think, was her name Janine? Nope, it's just librarian. I didn't by get Alice Drummond. <laughs> librarian, played by Alice Drummond. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way the camera, again, the way the camera follows her and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just thinking, yo, those effects hold up. Like, practical effects. Like, they did well. They, I'm yeah. got me. They did really yeah. well with this film, man. The, for real. The, book, the books were just on wires and the index cards are being blown by a fan. It's unbelievable. Like, really? it's impressive. It's really, really impressive. The index cards, literally, they've put these cards, which look blank, by the way, um, in the in this tray with holes underneath, and they've just put fans underneath, like real high-powered fans, to blow them all. And, uh, and it, it's fucking creepy. It's, the first it's scene so freaked me well out done. as a kid. It's so well done. It's, it's so claustrophobic. So well and the score is creepy as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so it is really, really well done. It's like what what I like what they've done with the film with a lot of these effects is a lot of it is practical for one, um, and two, they do a lot of things where they they they've done enough for you to let your imagination finish, right? Mm-hmm. Like by the end of that scene, there's literally probably a fan and a flashlight at this woman with some loud music, her screaming and her hair blowing. You, like you, you know, you have zero idea what she's looking at, right? It literally could just be some bright light. But they've done enough with everything else for you to be like, "There's a ghost in there." Mm-hmm. It's perfect. It's really well done. 
it, it's great horror when you're able to build tension and build suspense. Exactly. exactly. But then hold it. And that's exactly. what this entire thing does. Because you're the stalker and then the camera switches and you see that there's nothing actually following. There's nothing behind her. And the, the payoff at the end, it sets the entire tone. With the movie kicking, like the music kicking in, the cartoon, you know, ghost coming in. It sets exactly what the film is. Uh Speaking of, love this intro. speaking of the music, we'll, we'll start with the theme tune, obviously, because that's the first thing that comes out, right? <laughs> Can I just say the theme tune for Ghostbusters was originally going to be incredibly different. Did you know that uh, Ray Parker Jr. got sued by Huey Lewis in the news because they think that uh, Ray Parker ripped off uh, their song? Which, 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 which one? It's called I Want a New Drug. Ah, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, I've just seen that. Yeah. And I, and I just so happen to have a clip. You guys tell me what you think. Yeah, they they he didn't win that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Uh, that's pretty. It kind of takes the uh, fun out of it. I think. So here's the funny thing. I'm so I'm reading about it. I'm reading about it, and it actually says so. You know the beginning of the montage, like you know that. So, and this is literally straight up from that. So music was required for a montage in the middle of the film, uh, and I want a new drug by Huey Lewis in the news was used as a temporary placeholder because of its appropriate tempo. Reitman was later introduced to Ray Parker Jr., who developed Ghostbusters with a similar riff to match the montage. There was a there were approximately fifty to sixty different theme songs developed for Ghostbusters uh, before they decided on Ray Parker's. And then they actually did ask Huey Lewis to compose the film's theme, but he was too busy with Back to the Future, so they just stole the melody. <laughs> Yo, I mean, all, all I can tell you is that they, they settled out of court, so you know something. Oh, of course. I, I think it's one of the ones where it's just like, hey, um, you approached me. I didn't say, use my song. Do you know what I mean? So I think it was kind of like, this is doing pretty well. I want some of this. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what can you say about the song? Uh, you know, that hasn't already been said. It's, is it the most famous, uh, movie theme song of all time? It, it kind of has to be, right? Like, and I don't mean score, like, you know, like, like Star Wars or. Nah, or nah. I, I mean, mean like, like actual, actual song. It's a it's a proper pop. It was in the charts. It was in the top ten for ages. Like you can't you can't argue with that. That's a, I, I'm trying to think of another song that actually has a film's like name in it that is in the top that was in, that has ever been in the top ten. Does it? Does is Ghostbusters as famous without it? Ah, it's one of the, it's just one of those things that like it just works hand in hand. It's like if if Ray Parker Jr. for some reason decided to release a song called Ghostbusters, would that ever be big enough? I highly doubt it. You know what the hell is this guy like singing about? But I don't know. It just it's it. You know, it's just one of those things. Those matches made in heaven or yeah. whatever dimension the ghost came from. <laughs> I I definitely think that the score in this film absolutely like, and not just like the great songs, just the ones that set the mood as well. When when they the switch the comedy unreal. off, they set the tone perfectly. The music is that was the whole that was the whole point of what Bernstein did. It was that it was the match between the comedy and the drama and the serious parts and the horror as well, but then littered with some 
ridiculously good 80s pop songs that proper captured parts of the, like, like, again, sorry, but cause, just because we're on the soundtrack, so sorry to jump ahead, but like when Magic plays, when they've released the, the, when they've obviously, boom, <laughs> like it's, yeah. that, it's, it's such perfect use of that song. I would never listen to that song by itself, <laughs> but it just yeah. works perfectly with that. Uh, I, um, so I've got the score and I've got the soundtrack. Both are as good as each other. Uh, the thing with the score, and as you said, with Bernstein's, um, uh, magic fingers, it takes certain scenes and certain character relationships to a different level that was no way it would have been as, it wouldn't have popped as much. Like, you know, the relationship between Dana and Peter. The score that accompanies every interaction between them actually helps you believe because one, one million percent. I wasn't going to say anything yet because we're just, it's going to probably be the yeah, next part yeah. to talk about, but one million percent. But in a weird, weird kind of segue, you've kind of taken me to what is not, now I'm going to get controversial. It's probably my first criticism of Ghostbusters now watching it with new or older eyes. Like, Venkman is a freaking predator. Like, what is that guy's deal? I mean, that scene with the student was just, I'm, I'm like, that was actually slightly hard to watch. I was like, ooh, this must, maybe this was okay back in the 80s. But Jesus Christ. And he's sitting there like shocking the other male student and then not shocking this female student. And he's just like, oh, um, Ray is like, like, leave. I'm busy. I'm in the middle of something. He's like, do you want to come back for eight? I'm like, what? Bro. You might, you're probably, you're, you're probably half, you're probably like 35, 36. You look 40, 46, 47, and you're hitting on some young girl. And then anything that moves or walks in a skirt, the guy's looking, it's just like, uh. Look, if we're going to do this, I love, slash, I hate how Ventman carries 300 cc's of Thorazine around with him. Bro! It's just, <laughs> A drug that treats schizophrenia, right? <laughs> AKA, that will knock you the fuck out. Definitely a date rape drug. And I'm sorry, a psychologist is not a medical doctor. He cannot write a prescription. So I don't know where he gets that controlled substance from. And he carries it around with him like a fucking nothing. Like, like I've got to say, like watching it again, right? Benkman is creepy as fuck in this film. I've got to say it. And he... I'm madly in love with you. Like, <laughs> what? He is, he is creepy as fuck in this film, right? Are you, Alice, menstruating right now? What has that got to do with it? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. I mean, like, I'm still reeling. I'm heartbroken um, from the first, from the opening scene in the library. I mean, it's nearly impossible to re-index all those books. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they were stacked nicely, so... <laughs> hey, if that ghost was such a bibliophile, why did she do such a thing to those books? I know, I know, like, exactly. Why, why would she... I mean, you think that she'd want the, the bookkeeping system to stay, right? I, I'm, fuck it, I'm throwing a bollocks card already. No, I'm kidding. See, uh, <laughs> I, this is where... I think it's a great time to bring this up, and it, it was, it's been sitting with me since re-watching this film. I'd never thought of it before. But the ghosts of this, you have to presume, are just nasty, evil creatures that definitely weren't the spirits of people that used to be alive because man, there, there's some shit. There's some like bad shit going both ways, but one, the ghosts seem to be absolute like 
monsters and terrors. Like, they don't just seem to be like... You know, you always picture like a ghost being something like, oh, they've got something they need to, you know, resolve or something that's that's holding them to this this plane or this... Um, I think they even mentioned the ethereal plane. So it's like they're stuck on the ethereal plane because they haven't completed a test. I'm like, man, this ghost just went around fucking up a library and haunting it. Turns into a skinless monster to scare an old lady. And it's like, right, you, you know, the Ghostbusters come and destroy her. If they're destroying ghosts and capturing ghosts, like, oh, they, they, you, you presume they're not the spirits of, like, it's not like Nana's in the fucking trap <laughs> being carried out. Yeah, I'll give you two grand to give it a Nana. She keeps fucking knocking her plates off the fucking <laughs> frying eggs on my desktop. <laughs> I, I think that the ghosts in this Ghostbusters universe, they're, I think you're right, they're not supposed to be people that once lived, but whatever they are, uh, some of them can choose uh a an avatar or, or yeah. cho- choose like this this ghost obviously enjoys books you know, yeah, she, yeah yeah she's just reading she yeah. if the ghostbusters hadn't turned up she'd have kept reading whatever the yeah f- treasure island i don't know but um you know like slimer it, it it's it's kind of personifies the ghost's personality yeah yeah, you know, yeah. he's greedy he's gluttonous yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's slimy um i think that's in this world that's it, it, part of the You've got to remember this is a family comedy horror film, and mm. it's probably part of its charm. But yeah, I agree. It's definitely not humans. Definitely. I mean, we're going to Ghostbusters 2. Vigo the Carpathian, he was human. True. Once. True. Well, that, that's the. I, I think you could probably, if you wanted to dive deeper and darker into Ghostbusters, you could definitely say that he was probably someone who maybe ascended past that into yeah. the ethereal. Possibly. Yeah. So, look, uh, the first scene, regardless, it does exa- as on said, does exactly what it's supposed to do. Sets the tone yeah. for the whole movie. 100%. 100%. Um, we then head over to Weaver Hall, which is located on the Columbia University campus. Uh, the department is the psychology department. And we meet one of our heroes, uh, Peter Venkman. So, can I... Just posture, right? These guys have PhDs in parapsychology, which, let's face it, is a fringe pseudo degree at best. Some universities offer it, right? It's based, best to describe it as unexplained phenomenon, right? Yeah. Forget the word ghosts. It's just unexplained phenomenon. Exactly what the X-Files was, you know, before Mulder started talking about aliens. Yeah. Um, my first question is, how the fuck did Venkman fall into this vocation? How the fuck did he ever graduate? Oh, I doubt... He's got two degrees... You. He's Thank got two you. fucking degrees. Thank you. Thank you. Because Venkman don't know shit. Like, <laughs> my man is just funny. That's it. Like, this is what I mean when I say, like, I'm talking, like, he has, he is pure personality, right? And that carries so much gravitas in the film that when he doesn't display the personality that you think he would or should or something else, it's just like, what? Do you know what I mean? And that's when I, and that's when I say, in my opinion, that's too much Bill Murray because you literally forget Venkman's role as a scientist. Because he's, he's a scientist. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, at least you, you, he should be. He's a scientist, but he's actually a university lecturer. Exactly that. They, they but, work for the university, so they're exactly. doing their research, but they're also, uh, they're, you know, they're, they work in academia. So, 
this fucking Venkman is perving over his students like he's you know I mean? down in the basement. What do you, do you think I mean? his lectures are like? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like it's just it's just like this guy is a, he's a freaking predator. Like genuinely, <laughs> he just it's what, like what the hell? Wasn't there like some hate written on his door as well? Like yeah, Venkman. Yeah, absolutely. It makes so much more sense. All the okay, so. Let me start by saying, like the the movie's theme, it's like it hits you over the head. Um, it's almost it's like a Christmas Carol where you're visited by three ghosts. Instead, they're visited they're visited by like three terribly middle aged white jobsworthy elder statesmen. So the first is the dean Jaeger, and he tells them that the board of directors or whatever has terminated the funding for their their research. Um, do we think the funding was cut because they were getting reports of Venkman's inappropriate behaviour? Let's be honest. <laughs> We've got a chance of you um, soliciting some of the students. Yeah. I, I mean, you'd question whether such a prestigious university would actually fund paranormal research in the first exactly. place. Exactly. I mean, what exactly are these guys lecturing about? And, I mean, it, it would have to have been one hell of a fucking grant. Oh, let's just say there's a few questions around funding in this film that I've written down. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) the Dean actually channels all his venom at Peter. Stance and, and Spengler are, they're just like collateral damage. They just want Vickman out of the university. Yeah, pretty much. That's what, honestly, that's what it feels like. That's honestly what it feels like. It almost feels like they're reputable scientists. Fair enough. Their fields are rather niche out there. Niche for, for, but, but, you can see the research, the understanding, the 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 academia in it. Do you know what I mean? Well, he but, says that your research, he goes, your your hypotheses are highly questionable. I'm like, are you talking to Peter or are you talking to the three of them? Because you're exactly. just focusing on Peter. Exactly. Exactly. It sounds like it was personal for for Van Yeah, Kim, definitely. He probably but, wrote that on the door, burning hell. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I definitely think, like, I, I mean, I'm trying to explain it already now without any better, but potentially you could have that Venkman was more the psychology side, whereas the other two are more the, like, science side, because they seem to, like, say terms and use equipment that Venkman probably has no, like, well, doesn't Potentially, potentially. Yeah. I mean, it, it's even the point where, I and mean, again, sorry to skip ahead, but, like, um, specifically, uh, for lack of a better term, re- relation to this or direct kind of where they address it is when... They're in the prison, and he's like, "You don't know anything about physics, blah blah blah, etc." You never he's just studied. Like, you never studied. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like you are not a scientist. <laughs> yeah. He probably, yeah. I, I mean, I would personally judge Ray and Egon, as you said, you called them two competent academics, right? For letting Venkman ride their coattails and get them fired. Why do they still Absolutely. hang out with them? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, like I mean, the next thing you know, Venkman's convinced Ray to sell his childhood home. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Precisely, and precisely their finances into starting their own business. It's like it's a triple mortgage on his house. <laughs> <laughs> the interest, the interest alone would be ninety five thousand for the first in the first time. Right. Like, what? He didn't even, and he says you didn't even bargain with the guy. He was like, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take <laughs> it. I'm not, you know, I'm not very good with numbers, but I, but nineteen percent. He said it's at nineteen percent. You didn't even bargain with the guy. First of all, fucking nineteen percent, Jesus. Um, but also he says that, uh, Egon says that the interest rate that's in the first year is 95k, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a huge fucking loan. Exactly. Exactly. And yet, right. I mean, the firehouse would have been, would have to have been a massively expensive lease. 
Um, then what? Ray drops nearly five grand on Ecto One, uh, and then the fucking equipment. How much do the do you think those? It, it co- how much do you think it costs for fucking laser sighted nuclear accelerators? Bro, 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 bro. Do you want to see my my note? If, if we're gonna go on funding, because I've got quite a few notes on funding. Let me just let, let me just get to it. How much did how how much did nuclear material go for back in ninety four? In eighty four. <laughs> And like, laser, laser confinement. Like, like what? <laughs> like where? What money? <laughs> How they're paying Janine is beyond me. Exactly that. Oh, and statewide TV advertising. That must have cost a pretty penny. <laughs> Someone, someone's reversed done the maths online because of course they have. Uh, without knowing the first two non mortgages are open for, the house would have had to have been at least 600k. Fuck. What, well, they're Done. renting, aren't they? At least. No, this is how much he... he the, oh, right. house. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the, right. the mortgage. Right. Fucking hell. God of my... Absolutely nuts. And then they do like 5,000 jobs? Estimated <laughs> around 750 to maybe millions. Jesus. So he got at least 750k for the house minimum, they're saying. Jesus Christ. So, you know you know when they... um when they're walking around the fire station and they're playing hardball. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> he goes, this building should be condemned, right? And then Ray comes in and ruins it. So I was watching it with Lauren. I was watching the film with Lauren and she immediately said what I had just written down. And she said, this is me when you're trying to negotiate something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, you know, just, just for instance, you know, the silver trunk in our living room. Yeah, yeah. We we got it uh, at an antiques, um, a place called Battlesbridge, which is like an antiques emporium place. Uh, and we walk in, and yes, we had we had had it on our mood board for ages that we wanted a silver trunk to act as uh, a centerpiece. You know, just where where we're sitting down. I know that Lauren knows that, but why does anyone else need to know that? So. Exactly. I, I, uh, so she's like, "Oh, uh, this is seventy-five pounds," and I'm like, "Yeah, it's just it's really. Oh, I mean, I we need storage space. I don't know about the silver though. I mean, I thought I would just get an ottoman or something, you know, you know, fifty quid more likely, not seventy-five. Lauren comes yeah. over. She goes, "Hi, did my husband tell you how much we have been dying for one of these?" Because oh, <laughs> <God>. like, <laughs> it's the first thing that we said we wanted when we when we started decorating our house, and the lady looks at looks at me. I'm like. So was that seventy five then? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, because Ray's such a fucking moron. Yeah, like, really. No, oh, but really. you love him because of how innocent. Like just like he's like, yeah, this yeah. is great. This is great. Paul still work. We should. We should. We should. We should. <laughs> That line, nice. that line killed me. It showed everything. Does the pole still work? What is there? He's a child. You know. Oh, he's it's a freaking brilliant. He's the absolutely, and also the heart of the team. Absolutely yeah. hilarious. He even says it's part of the Ghostbusters. But this this whole opening segment, just because, um, you know, we're, we're going so deep already, right? We are, the, really, yeah. The, they've seen a ghost. They think that they can contain it. They've been fired from their jobs, so they've gone into business for themselves, and they've got no money. This makes them underdogs, and we all love a good underdog story, especially Absolutely. when they are being you know beaten up by stuffy corporate red tape America. Exactly that. Exactly So. That. So, as I'm sorry, even even with Venkman aside, this is a perfect start to a film. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're exterminators. It's a trade. You know, it's they inc- are. It's timely. It's very, very. It's, it, like you said, it's yeah. timely. Everyone, everyone was, yeah. in some way, shape, or form, around that. Where it's like, cool. What's my part now? What can I do? Oh, cool. Hmm. These guys are giving it a go in ghost extermination. I can at least 
go in my coffee shop. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the, so far we've seen one ghost and I thought that was a pretty, I think you said it already, Anton. I think it was a pretty good, for 1984, which uh, this film was revolutionary. Yeah, man. And, um, the, 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 okay, let's not talk about the terror dogs just yet because that, that's not good. But, okay, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, those, those, Bless them, did not hold up. But uh, you know, the, the, some some of the ghosts, like you know, even Slimer looks legit. There's parts where there's part there's parts where you see Slimer, and it's like like for me, it was the part where Slimer. Like again, sorry to go further ahead, but it's the part where Slimer comes out the hot dog stand and yeah. he eats the hot dogs. I'm like, I couldn't tell whether or not that was an animatronic thing that they've put green thing on because it looks like he's actually interacting with sausages. Do you know what I mean it didn't look like the layered there was there was a puppet i was gonna say it didn't look like the layered thing but it's like the way they transitioned between both and knew when they needed each one was it was really good it was really really good amazing that he did it because you're right it was a puppet that guy was wearing uh and the mouth and the uh eyes and the facial expressions were done by wires so it couldn't actually move and they had to move the camera to make it look Jeez. like the slime was actually really, moving. It's really well done. Grafting. They are grafting like the really characters well done. in this film. The, really, the really well SFX done. The SFX on this film, I think they were coming up, for the time, I think they were coming up with absolute new ideas. Yeah. They, had, they, create, they, they, they pretty much created a studio for it for this, didn't they? Um, it was... Uh, was it oh, what's the guy? Something... Eric, Eric Bill... Oh, it's going to piss me off now. I literally was reading about it before um, and was trying to, like make it concise, but they literally took some of the budget and created a uh, news, Eric Bundle or Bruns or something like that. And then hit the, basically made a studio to do all of that and had to come out, like you said, with completely different new can, you, ideas. Uh, I, I can tell you what it was if you want. Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. It was Boss Films. Boss Films. Mm. Boss Film Studios. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There we go. Edland. That's the name I was trying to remember. Uh, yeah. Richard yeah. Edland. Yeah. After a paranormal encounter in her apartment, cellist Dana Barrett calls the Ghostbusters. She recounts witnessing a demonic dog-like creature in her refrigerator uttering a single word, Zool. Ray and Egon research Zool and details of Dana's building while Peter inspects her apartment and unsuccessfully attempts to seduce her. The Ghostbusters are hired to remove a gluttonous ghost, Slimer, from the Sedgwick Hotel. Having failed to pri- sorry, having failed to properly test their equipment, Egon warns the group that crossing the energy streams of their proton packs never cross the streams, <laughs> weapons would cause a catastrophic explosion. They capture the ghost and deposit it in an ecto-containment unit under the firehouse. Supernatural activity rapidly increases across the city and the Ghostbusters become famous. They have a fourth member, Winston Zedmore, to cope with the growing demand. You know, Chekhov says, if you see a gun in Act 1, fire it in Act 3. Ghostbusters say, if you see the streams in Act 1, cross them in Act 3. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did is it even as a child? Did you when he, when they said, by the way, don't cross the streams? Uh, did even as a child, you were like, right, they're crossing the streams. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was one of those things where it was just like, I think as a child when I first watched it, the sense of foreboding wasn't there. But then as soon as you get to a certain age, you're just like, yeah, well, one hundred percent crossing the streams. Like it was there purely for the setup for the end. That was purely always there for. Well, I think watching the cartoons as well, they never like dealt with that in the cartoons. So yeah, never, yeah, yeah. E- even to the point of looking at the proton packs, I swear the proton packs were so much cleaner. Like 
seeing that the Ghostbusters in this film, they're so much more raw and real, yeah, like loose yeah, wires. Yeah. And they like, wanted yeah. it to be that way. They wanted it to look, absolutely. They, they 100% wanted the look to be like these guys are flying by the seat of their pants. They're exterminators. They've, yeah. got, they've got unsuccessfully tested equipment. Um, and they're just on the job, you know, like it's even like their suits, they look like uh, janitors. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And that was, that was, that was exactly what they were going for. It's the whole point of what they were going for. It was that entire look. Um, but it has to be said, if the Ghostbusters gig never worked out, they 100% had a career in demolition. Jesus <laughs> freaking Christ. <laughs> I, again, I wish we were doing Ghostbusters 2 as well because. You just, it's just so plausible. If someone said to, if, if, like, as an adult me, if someone said, so what do you think happened to the Ghostbusters after, uh, they saved New York? You, you would think, like, um, they probably got the shit suit out of them. Absolutely. The whole thing cost 5,000. And I was like, what? And then it was like, your, your damage, your destruction alone is nowhere near that. You're already under. And again, I go back to my question. How much did nuclear material cost in 84? Because the fact that you guys are walking around with that in your pocket, how did you pay for it with 5,000? Where, how did they turn a profit? I'm sorry. This is where I throw my bullets card. Funding makes zero sense in this fucking film. And I'm I, seriously I, throwing a bullets card. I have to film. throw a bullet. I have to throw a bullets card at this film. I have to. I have Fuck. to. So. The funding makes no sense. <laughs> It's no right. sense. Walter Peck Jr. throws a bullet. <laughs> writing it down. It has to be done. And the only reason I'm throwing it is because if not, I throw it at freaking Bill Murray because of the, because he is such a predator in this film. Venkman is so, like when he walks into the Cedric Hotel and that woman walks past and that creepy ass yeah. look that he gives her when she walks past. I was like, if this if Venkman didn't get the card, the bullet card, the funding has to. Something has to get the bullets, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Fine, and I'm glad you made that point. What I was saying was, though, that at the end of the film, they must get sued by... Absolutely, 100%. It's probably what should have happened in the Avengers. This is what Avengers should have been. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. Caught in the litigation, though, of, like, not having licenses... Not having, like, oh, you could have done it at, like, a lesser level. You know, like, people analyze it, like... Yeah. Well, we we shouldn't go into it yet because... Uh, the villain or the antagonist doesn't show up until later in the film. True. But as we all know, this is a this is one of the uh, Ten Commandments on Back to the Pictures. Uh, the three of us agree that movies are often defined by how by their villains, and not True just that. by their villains, but by how their villains have a point. True. <laughs> you know? True. Uh, so we will come back to that because there's no denying that. Oh, mate. I'm looking at the notes now, but I'm not going to say it. I will wait. <laughs> but the thing is, it's a good segue because it's nearly halfway through the movie and we do not have a defined villain or an True. antagonist. True. This movie breaks all the fucking rules. True. The film's structure is defined by the Ghostbusters business True. Or, or lack thereof. True. So the, the, emerge of the, the emergence of a threat, which is what you would presume a movie like this would be the inciting incident. It doesn't come to them. It comes through Dana. Yeah, exactly. So the, the inciting incident really is that three college, uh, three colleagues, sorry, start a business. Yeah, right. Exactly. Then, that. A, then a customer comes in with a case for them to handle. That's yeah. it. And then, they, and then, in a, in a strange way, they remove that case. We'll say that for later. And it literally is yeah. just about them establishing themselves first and foremost. Which, yeah. in a way, they definitely hundred percent needed to do. They needed uh, to do. 
I guarantee you, this is, I, um, I mean this, uh, anyone correct me if I'm wrong, I guarantee you this is the only film in history where none of the the leading characters have any problems with each other. There's no drama between any of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no like, oh, you know, you're reckless. Oh, you're an arsehole. Or, oh, you, you know, you slept yeah, with my wife. Yeah, it's like, yeah. they just accept Peter for who he is. They just accept yeah. Ray for who he is. And they just accept Egon. And then when Winston comes aboard, they accept him too. There's yeah. no, there's no dramatic tension between them. And it fucking works. Yeah, it's true. That's a good point. It is a very, very good point. They, they, like, they, they, they just let each other play their roles. And they just let, and they, and they're okay with the other person doing that as well. And, not so much they're okay with doing that. They even play off it where yeah. Peter will purposely put um, Ray forward because he knows that at the end of the day, you can't deny the person who is the heart of God telling you the truth. Do you know what I mean? I may talk shit, but I wrap it up in, in, in gold. Whereas this guy is gold. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's go, like, it's go get her, Ray. Absolutely. Go get, go get her, Ray. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. There was one bit though, and this is, and again, this, this is, uh, this, this is probably likely way too deep, but for some reason, it just kind of struck a chord with me. Um, mainly because I'm probably a minority myself, right? <laughs> but you know, when they're in the Cedric Hotel and they go up, right? Uh, they've turned on the nuclear explosives that are their proton pack. <laughs> and even, mm. and even Egon is like, whoa, like, let's back up a bit, right? Yeah, they back away from him. Like, they literally back away from like, <laughs> The untested nuclear weapons that they have. Okay, but fine. We're cool. And then they walk out and that lady comes with the car and they just turn and just shoot her, right? Yeah. Now, we all know that there's there's an elderly black lady. (laughs) And then Peter goes, sorry, we thought you were someone else. Is that not annoying foreboding as to to other things? It's just like the two white guys with guns shot at the black person was like, sorry, we thought you were someone else. (laughs) I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't help but crack up at it and be like, could they put that in a film nowadays? Because the connotations probably speak too much. That's <laughs> you know hilarious. What I mean? <laughs> That's a great observation. Do you know what I mean? It's like you probably couldn't you probably couldn't put that in a film nowadays, even as a joke. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be a completely different yeah. situation. God. What the hell are you doing? Sorry. Sorry, I'm sorry. We thought you were someone else. So our second elder statesman is, of course, the hotel manager, and he calls them, right? He calls them, and he immediately insults them by asking, are they serious? Well, fuck you. You called our number. That's number one. Then he says he needs them because they provide a service, and he's in need of that service. So that is supply and demand. They show up, and he is as stuffy as fuck, doesn't want them there, doesn't even believe his hotel has a bug problem. Right, he resents them being there, or resents having to call them. Then he gets the bill from them, and he tries to weasel out of it. Right, so as exterminators, they tell him that they can't store these termites without funding, so they'll just have to release them back into the hotel. And the guy gets so fucking angry. You know, I know people don't like feeling like they've been ripped off, but this infestation has been going on for years in your hotel. You call them in the middle of the night because it's so bad you don't ask for a quote and you haven't even blocked off the hotel to make sure it doesn't impact your guests your entire hotel is fucked so how much is too much thanks so much thank you hope we can help you again coming through a one-class so so you're you're right they they start with a case and then they kind of forget about it as they become more famous but the, mm. the, the the whole thing with dana 
you know, we, we, we come to like her quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, Scorning Weaver immediately, uh, puts me at ease that she's not Ellen Ripley. You know, she's, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't see it at all. Yeah, yeah. 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 I see a new character, which is great. Um, did you notice that the marshmallows next to the eggs on the table are stay puffed? No, uh, I, did. I didn't want to make first, really? but I, I did this time. If that makes sense, yeah. Ah, I didn't even check. There's, there's a few, there's a few hidden Easter eggs or hidden marshmallows in the film uh, that allude to the Stay Puft. Uh, but yeah, because and it's weird. She's got eggs, uh, some vegetables, and marshmallows. Marshmallows, yeah. It's the weirdest. <laughs> yeah, I did notice the weirdness of that shopping. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when she comes into the Ghostbusters. Uh, office and Venkman jumps over that. Oh my god! Oh my god, Dom! <laughs> he's so funny. <laughs> he is—he's an absolute little horn dog. <laughs> he's so funny. I'm glad they chose him to be slimed as well, though. Do you know what I mean, like, he doesn't get away from just being like they didn't call in just a cool guy to just like hit on women and you know. Well, yeah, I mean, like it's personified. He's slimy. And yeah, slime. true that. True that. I mean, if you want to, I mean, when Venkman goes to her apartment to, to check the fridge. Oh, so yeah. So we know that, um, Dana's opened her fridge and she sees a terror dog and it says it's all, um, thinking already that that, I don't know why the dog thought that she was all already, but, um, yeah, Venkman goes to the apartment and she, like, he's being so rapey in this scene. Oh man. It's with, like, you know, I'm madly in love with you. And, uh, you know, people be like, no, he's being facetious. He's being silly. He's just being, you know, Venkman. I'm like, he's met her like for five minutes. She's a client and he's so obviously hitting her. Oh man. In her home as well. And to the point where she's just like, you are so strange. No, no, no. You are so rapey. (laughs) However, there's one other thing in that scene that, kind of like strikes me weird now that I watch it. It's the first time I felt this way. She doesn't act like she's scared that something might be in her fridge. Yeah, do not, do, like, for, like, again, so for me, right, it's, it's the fact that when she first opened the fridge, I was like, oh, that's, that was, that was really well done. You know, like there's a whole freaking dimension in there. Yeah. So she just goes back. She's she like, just cool. goes back. She, she's she like, casually I'm, I'm a, takes off her clothes. I mean, absolutely. She's just like, cool. She's, she's, she's doing exercise videos. <laughs> Watching about the Ghostbusters while there's a freaking demon dimension in her fridge. Right, you, you would never ever step foot back Bro. in the apartment again. Bro! She, she explains it all. When, when she goes there, they tell her what it is and she's like, I don't believe in any of that. It's like, okay. <laughs> but you know how, you like, saw, she, you saw she a different goes, dimension in your fridge? Like, but they're like talking that. in the living room for a good five minutes and I'm like, you do realize the last time you were in your flat, you literally opened the fridge to a different dimension. It's nuts. It is. Actually wouldn't, nuts. I wouldn't even go in. If I was, I wouldn't even go in. I was like, listen, I've paid you to do this for me. Fucking go in there, check the fridge, and then I'll come in. <laughs> I, I imagine, though, like the fear of when it first happened kicks in, and then you have the fight or flight, and she ran, and then you rationalize it. And I think this is, I, I could be wrong, I'm not a psychologist, but I think this is the thing where you like rationalize something that you can't comprehend or understand and try and make it real and try and make it something you can like pass off. And that's what she's doing with the Ghostbusters. And she just wants a rational explanation for something that, you know, you can't rationalize. She went to the wrong place. And that's, yeah, Ian, that was poetry. Um, the, the fact that she's, en- <laughs> she ends up with Venkman in this, in this scene. You, you guys realize that they they only shared two scenes together, this entire film before we get to the night of their date. 
Yeah, pretty isn't much. that isn't that incredible? You yeah. you feel like they're already on the cusp of romance. This is the power of these older movies. Mu- that it's is just it's Man, just it's lost today. It packs so much into so little time, and it doesn't feel forced. Mm. It's the, it's the, for me. It's the music because like I kind of like it. I think it's very much implied, in my opinion. Right where I think. I 100% agree with you. In those older movies, in older movies, they do it really, really well. And I think it's because of just, just dating and everything in general now is just a completely different beast entirely. But it's just very much implied. Like they kind of, I don't want to say hit you over the head with it, but they very much kind of keep putting it there. Your girlfriend, your girlfriend, your girlfriend, your girlfriend, even though they haven't really met, they're just well aware of that point. And I think, again, this is what you're talking about. It's just more the music, you know, like they just give a lot to their interactions where a lot is implied even despite the weird creepiness, do you know what I mean? It's like almost like she kind of likes it. She's not. She's not do you like. Think, do you think they've got my chemistry? <sighs> I'm gonna be honest. Not really. <laughs> like it's. I don't really think so. Like I think. I think you understand it because it's like, like you said, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, and in fact, it was actually also in something I researched as well. It gives. The introduction at the end of that point gives, um, gives, um, emotional weight to the antagonist later to the, in the film, right? As in, like, if it wasn't Dana, say she just escaped from her apartment, we wouldn't give a shit that, that, that Zool and whoever was, was, was like invading, using her apartment and possessing her and stuff like that. We wouldn't, like, we wouldn't, we wouldn't care. Do you know what I mean? If, but the fact that he used her and it was implied that there is some kind of chemistry between her and Peter gives it a little bit more of that there's something to lose here. That makes sense? Like, he's fighting for something, quote-unquote, really. But that's that's the majority of it. Like, in the most part, I still can't go back to it. I still can't say I, I still can't deny that. My man is just fucking creepy. <laughs> and it, she hit about that one interaction and never been around her again. <laughs> let's face it. <laughs> it it's like i don't know how much time jumps but there is i i do agree that there's no chemistry especially up to at least this point but it's not until like they get famous and he's on tv yeah. and all yeah. the interviews kick yeah. in where you kind of see it they have that scene where she like is watching is like what mm. is that they're, they're actually a thing this is real yeah, no, yeah. it's she- like I think I think it's I think it's it's a bit weird how she suddenly finds him charming rather than creepy. Yeah, because he's <laughs> yeah, now exactly. famous and uh, you know, and he's a celebrity. She's yeah. a, bit of a gold digger. <laughs> I ain't saying she a gold digger, yeah. but she a gold digger. <laughs> Suspicious of the Ghostbusters, Environmental Protection Agency Inspector Walter Peck asks to evaluate their equipment, but Peter rebuffs him. Egon warns that the contain unit is nearing a capacity and supernatural energy is surging across the city. Peter meets with Dana and informs that her Zul was a demigod worshipped as a servant to Goza the Gozerian, a shape-shifting god of destruction. Upon returning home, she is possessed by Zul. A similar entity possesses her neighbour, Louis Tully. Peter arrives and finds the possessed Dana slash Zul claiming to be the gatekeeper. Lewis is brought to Egon by police officers and claims he is Vince Clotho, the Keymaster. The Ghostbusters agree to keep the pair separated. Sigourney Weaver, looking like that, comes up to you as a demon. I know Ian Wood. That's literally what I wrote. I just wrote Zool, Ian Wood. <laughs> it's just like, would anyone else? <laughs> See, 
This is the uh, the point where I think they actually make like Venkman redeems himself slightly, where they keep showing him as this slimy guy who's like, don't be wrong, it doesn't undo any of the stuff he's done of how creepy he was, especially when you compare it to like modern day stuff. But at least in this scene, she literally is like, do you want this body? And credit <laughs> to him, he kind of is like, he's like, oh, pe- people don't talk anymore. <laughs> it's just like, I do appreciate I, that he somewhat restrained. You know? I'm like, yes and no, because again, we don't we don't know how much time has moved on, right? Maybe he they are at this point like seasoned Ghostbusters or whatever. But his reaction to me just doesn't make sense to me. Like when that freaking voice <laughs> comes out, where she's making that proper Zool voice, and he's just like, "You must have a lovely singing voice." <laughs> he's just like, "I've got no freaking proton pack with me. I can't handle this." But I'll tell you what I do. <laughs> I'll shoot her with drugs and let her sleep. <laughs> what? Come on now. I mean, the, the film really, you know, kicks into high gear now. Uh, True. Again, it's, it's, it's disobeying all the rules, so we're not quite sure if we're in the middle or if we're heading towards the end. But uh, like all good movies, um, well, again, th- this the villain enters now completely ridiculously. Um, okay, now, first of all, there's two villains. One, at this point in the film, is only referenced, right? This is the first time we hear Goza's name. True. Right, which is outrageous uh, when you think about the conventions of film yep. uh, and storytelling. And then we get Walter Peck. Enter Walter Peck, our third <laughs> and final white elder statesman, right? Oh, Lord. Now, you have to hand it to him. And they say, Larry King says it. He's like, all of a sudden, reports of ghosts are fucking going nuts in New York at the same time as these Ghostbusters start their business. Like all good villains, he's got a point. He's right to be suspicious. What the fuck are they using? You know? I'll, I will read my I will read my note now exactly as I, the one I held before. Peck has a point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on now! You are walking around with nuclear weapons and telling us that you're the reason the city's safe. All right, cool. Well, how do we know you safe? It, it, in every newspaper article or you know every picture every press picture they are clearly it demonstrates them using some kind of protonic stream uh, as in hydrogen right that is fused to release what atomic energy it's That's a fucking nuts. nuclear fusion cannon absolutely like, even he must have access to like their energy bills or like their spending no, it's, they're, they're submitting whatever it must be like, it's obvious that what they're using is giving off some kind of uh, discharge like of the likes of which no no extermination uh, apparatus has ever had before. Yeah. Let's exactly. Face it, even bug exterminators need to be regulated. They can't exactly. just use any hundred percent. Hundred percent. He's spot on. Like he, he would he would have done his work before showing up. There's no way he's just like. I, admittedly, I think they piss him off when he does show up because they aren't showing the EPA respect. But well, Venkman pisses him off. Again. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so again, and again, for me, he nailed it again, even when he went back the second time and he's just like, oh, no, no, I'm happy to comply. No, 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 you, you had your chance. You were too busy trying to insult me, you know, yeah. whilst I was just trying to make sure that you were fucking safe so that we were safe. Yeah. <laughs> at the very least, these things are giving off radiation. Absolutely, and in the in the least, at the very worst, there's literally there's literally ghosts like possessing people and trying to freaking get ghosts of the Gozarian into like. Where, come on now, be real. Where I think that though he falls short 
is he starts lun- when they when they make fun of him about his dick and whatnot. He lunges at Venkman <laughs> a few times. <laughs> they should have all just let that punch fly. Just yeah. be like, "Here's us getting off of scot free. <laughs> Here's a punch <laughs> in the city, just like wide open, just like um, right." You've got to be beyond reproach when you're a government agent. Absolutely, uh, exactly. and he wasn't. Uh, I, I just I, he's got a point. Look, in a few years, Winston is going to be able to sue the shit out of them for work-related illnesses and disabilities. I just love how Winston's just like, look, I just, I just, I joined for two weeks. I need my own lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> I love how he's just, the, he's a normal person in all of this. <laughs> you could throw a bollocks card for the fact that he he gets arrested. Uh, it's true. There's no reason for him to get arrested. He's an employee. And absolutely. If, and if he is getting arrested, why isn't Janine arrested? True that. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Uh, yeah, I mean, the three of us, uh, you know, listeners won't know, but the three of us fucking love this scene. May I please see the story? <laughs> also, I felt it fell on the cop a little. I know the cop's just doing his job. When he's down there and he's like, turn it all off. And like, no, 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 this is a terrible idea. And they're making like explosion fucking things yeah. with their hands and the electrician's like i don't know what any of this does like, uh, I'm, I'm with i'm with that electrician and i was like, like no fuck it turn it all off i'm yeah. sure the cop would have been like hey two seconds guys absolutely like, i am mean, my supervisor yeah at the end of the day they're still the ghostbusters and i still don't know what the hell they're fucking with and if they've yeah. got real machinery i'm not gonna be the one to turn off hell no you turn off yeah, I'm sure the cop would. I, I would have expected the. I mean, it's just a film, but I, I, I would have loved the cop to be like, "Hey, Peck, like, are you a scientist? Do you know what this even is? Like, exactly, exactly like, no, that. It's not doing anything bad right now. Leave it on. Give it half hour. <laughs> <laughs> Give it half hour. We get a specialist in. Let, let it settle. <laughs> put, it in the, put it in the fridge for for a bit so it can cool down. You, you would just say, look, let, let, let's file a petition. We'll get this in front of a judge. Absolutely. They'll get a restraining order from using their we- from using their equipment I mean, exactly. until we figure this out. That fucking cop, after he turns it off and it all fucking explodes, he's like, these guys cause an explosion. Where we are unrated, blah, blah, blah. It goes off. And the cop's just there like, yeah. Doesn't say a word. And I'm like, no. yo, did you not going to mention that? I think he might have been in shock. I think I might let him. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, as, it's so true. As soon as these guys show up in New York dressed in their overalls, ghosts are showing up everywhere. Yeah. I, uh, you know when he says, you can have it your way, Dr. Binkman. Did you ever just want to, like, pause it and then have a Burger King logo just fade in? <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I some way. have extra lettuce? Well, it was just about um, the way that Venkman handles Peck. I was going to say, I'd have just lied. What do you what do you do with these ghosts once you catch them? We get them we get them exercised. Father O'Malley does it. Fuck you. Absolutely, End absolutely. Like, well, yeah, and, and, and long story short, it was. Can you see it? No. Yeah. I'm like, here it is. Cool. What do you want to do with it? Like, don't touch it. I'm just saying. <laughs> you said, look. I didn't say touch. <laughs> I just find that was the, the other thing I was going to comment on for me personally is like, obviously we don't see Goza at all, and I think it would have been stronger to have like Goza as like Sigourney Weaver, but fair enough. Okay. Whatever as, as the, one of the terror dogs, but Vince, I, I, I'm gonna say Vince is a nice guy. I think he's just misunderstood. Like no. my, my guy was just chilling. Like he was, this is like one picking of the up lamps. He was, uh, <laughs> he was, he was like putting on. He was happy to cooperate. He was mm. like, oh, cool. Like I'll, I'll eat a pizza or wipe it on my face. I'm gonna free some animals. You know, like you'll be free. Like Vince, Vince is a quite a nice guy I mean compared to the horny fuck face that was all he, he I'd, I'd rather hang with Vince okay 
this this is prime rib for um yeah let, let's go into this so so peter meets dana and he tells her that um he reveals who the villain of the film is uh goza we understand that that zool and vince are minions of goza and i love how zool has a what do you say, Anza? Is it mon- monomous name? A mon a monumous name? Like a one one. Oh, the one name. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one word name. And and, the, and yet Vince has got a first and last name. It uh, sounds is. like an Italian. He but does. I, <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't get it as a kid, right? What the significance or the subtext of their titles are? You got the keymaster and the gatekeeper. What do keys do? They unlock uh, gates. Absolutely. What do the two of them do? They fornicate. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> 100%. 100%. That is, that's 100% what that was. So, so you got Zul and Vince. I, I still laugh. Vince Corso. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so random. What, what I love, I tell you what I love, right? Is a lot. What I love is the fact that Tully is an accountant. What does Vince sound like? He sounds like he's the accountant. For, he's, he sounds like he's Gozo's accountant. Like, well, I, think, really I think they're trying to say, although they don't quite get it because it doesn't work for Dana and Zul but it's saying that when when one of these terror dogs possesses a person they adopt the person's kind of personality and mm. and traits so that's why Vince becomes like goofy and and silly and uh, you know but that doesn't it's like Dana showed was was nothing like Dana when Zul yeah of course was not possessing her so I don't understand that but I, I love how Zul and Vince are statues sitting atop Central Park West their jobs are for Vince to stick his key into Zool's gate, right? Do, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, right. Do you think Goza was thinking, for fuck's sake, I literally encased you in stone right fucking next to each other. How did you miss each other? <laughs> I was like, I'm not, I mean that. It's like, why did you need to? Because this is the other part I never understood, right? It was like, okay, the dog seemed to have got free. Why did you then need to go possess someone to then turn back into dogs? You were just dogs. Just, just, uh, new dogs, hump each other, open. <laughs> I don't get it. I am the key master. I am the gatekeeper. If I Sorry. had to, uh, like, add in or write, if someone asked me to do, like, a one episode for Net- Netflix about, uh, about how that happens, I'd definitely put it down to the top of the building where they say it's all rituals that have been pulled off. Right. That essentially you're getting two evil spirits, you're getting them to possess someone, and then you're getting two people to complete a ritual on top of a antenna for psycho whatever it was. Anyway. Yeah, for PK. I agree. So, but why didn't they find answer. each other? <laughs> why, why, why did they both just go off in different directions when they were literally sat right next to each other? Because Zool is a horny fuck dog. <laughs> Eventually, though, because he's walking along, just fumbling along. And then it's like a shock that he sees the building. It's like, oh, this is it. So I, because in, in the building you came from, computer game <laughs> that I used to play 30 years ago, all the ghosts would um, convene on a building. So there wasn't like a set location. And that's how you would know where the battle for Zul was going to occur is all of the ghosts in the city would start heading towards a certain bit. So there is no Dana. There is only Zul. Oh, Zuli, you nut now. Come on. Do you, um, so just backtracking, you know, that the, so these dogs are loose in New York, they're possessing people, namely Dana and, uh, Lewis. Well, going back to how fucking stupid Peter is, you know how he suggests that they get the key master and the gatekeeper together? 
It's it's where this is where I start to lose my patience with Venkman. Are you fucking mad? It, it's I'd consider like, I'd consider killing them both before putting them in the same room. I'd, I'd, like I'd, as soon as he I hangs up yeah. on Venkman, Egon says, "I need Ray here immediately." Okay, absolutely. I can't fucking deal with Justin. a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like what? Like oh god, it's he like, is not uh, a scientist. He it, really isn't. Seriously, it's like I've got Goebbels and I've got Hitler. And he's like, let's get these two together. That's the first thing we should do. <laughs> Sit them down with a cup of tea, see what Absolutely. they come up with. Absolutely. Fuck me. There's a scene which I want to highlight because it represents like how Ghostbusters is unlike 99% of movies, right? There is not a single solitary scene in Ghostbusters that doesn't add to the movie or it, you know, it, it, it is not wasted. So we get this small scene with Winston and Ray on the Manhattan Bridge. And they're yeah. quoting Revelations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so fucking perfect. It's it so is, foreboding. It is, it is so pertinent. It is, and, and again, for me, what I loved about that scene, sorry to cut you open, what I loved about that scene was, again, it's it's Winston doing what Winston does. Brings it back to the point where it's just like, even Ray is like, oh shit, yeah. Yeah. It's, but you learn a lot. Perfect. You, you learn You learn one that, uh, that uh, Winston's religious, right? You yeah. learn that Ray is also spiritual. Um, yep. We get we get uh, the first. This is the first time they mention that you know what is happening in New York is actually threatening the world. Yeah, so yep. that ups the stakes. Um, you 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 understand that they're that they've been do they've obviously been pulling an all nighter. They work in shifts. Mm. It more credit as well to Reitman because he the way he had to, he basically had to edit the film as they were filming, and because of the special effects, anything with effects in it will had to be done in one take. So they were they were talking about like the way it was put together, um, and basically I, I I I couldn't read it. I I read it, but I read it through really quickly. But long story short, they said it was basically almost like editing before you have the scene, where you have to decide what it's going to be and what you're going to put in it, and you have that one take, and you have to use whatever you have with that because of the schedule, the special effects, everything. Like they couldn't just redo stuff, right? So even better credit to Reitman who had to edit like whilst filming and almost like ahead, if that makes yeah. sense. So in, unbelievably well done. I suppose it's, it's also the scenes that were shot on location because they only had a limited number of days. Exactly that, exactly that, exactly that. I love the scene where, you know, where Peter meets Dana and he's telling her about Zool or telling her about Goza. Uh, and it's an example of how the editing and like the timing and the score changes good movies into great movies. He decides to start spinning like the other guy yeah, yeah. Just yeah, as, yeah. as the scene as the scene cuts yeah, off, right? yeah, yeah. And, and another film, the scene we just cut when the two walk away from each other, right? Yeah. Peter's Peter's joking and um, heckling the guy that she's with, and yeah. then you know the the score just kicks in. It goes da 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 and he starts. Um, I don't know if the guy the, there's there's someone else doing like a performance. He's spinning on rollerblades. Yeah, he's spinning on rollerblades, and then so on, then Peter decides to just start spinning on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's it's fucking like who thinks of that? No, no. I know. Peck returns with law enforcement and city workers to have the Ghostbusters arrested and their containment unit deactivated, causing an explosion that releases the captured ghosts. Louis, Vince, 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 <laughs> escapes in the confusion and makes his way to the apartment building to join Dana slash Zool. In jail, Ray and Egon reveal that Ivo Shandor, leader of a Goza-worshipping cult in the early 20th century, designed Dana's building to function as an antenna to attract, to attract and concentrate spiritual energy to summon Goza and bring about the apocalypse. 
Faced with super, supernatural chaos across the city, the Ghostbusters convinced the mayor to release them. Um, at this point, right, you'd expect the film to start getting serious, right? Mm. Uh, and uh, and get a bit darker and and leave off the comedy. But it fucking doesn't. It's, 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 it's true. It's so This man funny. has no dick. He, yeah. <laughs> when, when they're in prison and he's like, is everyone getting this so far? <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, but then they're still talking about this crazy shit where he's like, um, he goes, this is the kind of uh, telemetry tracker that NASA uses. Mm. Uh, he goes, cold riveted girders uh, and some shit. And like, he's mm. like, the whole building is a superconductor, like Ian said, a superconductive antenna. They're, and they're saying all this. And he's like, so then suddenly he's like, something good, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> something is coming. And then um, and then again, we, we, we get the Archbishop of Mayor. I fucking love that scene. It is, it's just so How like, are you I don't, doing, Lenny? It, I don't like, I, I honestly don't understand like why the Archbishop is there, but he just adds something to it. It's just, it's just like a weird, like, I, think, I don't I know. I think it's a sign from God, but don't quote me on it. You know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you're the Archbishop. You're literally the only person you can quote. It's nuts. And you know, when Peter's literally, um, bribing the mayor with, like he's not bribing, but he's seducing the mayor. Yeah, 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 he, yeah, the yeah. mayor then looks at the archbishop. The archbishop's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, go, go with your gut. <laughs> I love, I love how even even Winston's like, look, <laughs> he's like, I want to be working with these people for two weeks, right? But I'm telling you, the shit that I've seen, it would turn you white. <laughs> like, that was so, that was so intentional. The only black guy, probably like the only film, it would turn you white. <laughs> It, it's mm. all it's all fun from here. I mean, it's just so much fun. Like, so you know, the the mayor agrees to help the Ghostbusters when he says, "What do you need from me?" And then we we get the military convoy and the motorcade. You know, that was a Peter Venkman request. Absolutely, like, like it, it's so funny because he was just like, "Look, we'll go away quietly, but until then, give us all the resources." Wait, what? What if there is nothing and you are just going to prison? Then you just let them. You've escorted them out with your resources. It makes zero sense. <laughs> Like literally, they are the most important people in the fucking world oh, right now. And, and and Peter Venkman is probably like, yeah, and you're going to treat us like that. If you absolutely, want to stop. absolutely. And then you get and the cre- you get the music right. Oh, I was, oh, I was literally that's, that's literally what I was just saying. That's literally Save what I was about to say. Oh, what a tune! Like it's you couldn't it couldn't be put any perfect where like. They play, uh, they play some of the introduction of it and then cut it off. Yeah. And then show them at the mayor's office. And it's like, no, 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 no. We do have to save the day. And then they play this, oh, it's so, what a tune as well from the Alessi brothers. Still makes me that it, it makes me feel the same way I did when I watched it as a kid. You know, it oh man, and um, and this film loves New York, and we said it when we recorded Hitch uh, that this is New York as it was in the eighties, not the glossy one that absolutely Hitch us. And you know, with the you know, you get that New York spirit. The crowd are chanting Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters. Yeah, and like, the whole the whole thing just. How could you not be pumped for the ending of this film? It's so funny, right? Because a lot of it was guerrilla filming where. That, 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 those people shouting Ghostbusters. Some of the um, they, they put they put some people. I think they put some people in the crowd, but it wasn't intentional. And then some other people just kind of 
caught onto it and started doing it as well, right? And some some extras. Yeah. Then that built that street that they shut down. Um, let me make sure I get this correctly. So that street that they shut down, um, they appealed to the actual new, I think it was the New York mayor, council, etc., whoever, and they actually shut it down. It caused so much traffic. They said from the top of the building where they were filming, you could see the traffic all the way down to Brooklyn and people were losing their shit to the point where um, they came across, I can't even remember it was, uh, where I read it, but they came across a famous person who was like, like quite a, like, quite a famous person. Well, I'll, I'll see if I can find it in the, in the article as well. And they were just like, like, what are you do- Why are you causing so much disruption? And then apparently, um, Francis Ford Coppola was filming something else, and they were just like, "Yeah, it was. It's, it's him. It's him in this film." <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. As, so, so um, it was science fiction writer um, Isaac Asimov. So uh, uh, that was actually there, and he was just like, "You guys are inconveniencing this building. It's just, it's just awful. I don't know how you got away with this." Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he was like, "Yeah, uh, it's Francis Ford Coppola. He's filming the Cotton Club." <laughs> The Ghostbusters travel to a hidden temple located on the top of the building as Dana slash Zool and Louis slash Vince open the gate between dimensions and transform into demonic dogs. Goza appears as a woman and attacks the Ghostbusters, then disappears when they attempt to retaliate. Her disembodied voice demands the Ghostbusters choose the form of their destructor. Ray inadvertently recalls a beloved corporate mascot from his childhood and Goza reappears as a gigantic stay puffed marshmallow <laughs> that begins destroying the city. Against his earlier advice, Egon instructs the team to cross their proton energy streams in the dimensional gate. The resulting explosion destroys Goza's avatar, banishing it back to its dimension and closes the gateway. The Ghostbusters rescue Dana and Lewis from the wreckage and are welcomed on the street as heroes. Yay. Woohoo! Saving the day! And to top it all off, their their final boss is a corporate fucking mascot. Absolutely, is that is that is that symbolism for 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 working? The, uh, they're they're a, they're a private small business being fucked over by corporate America, who don't want them, you know, uh, encroaching. And it's perfect. Absolutely, nicely done. Absolutely done. Yeah, they've been thrown out of the public sector. They've been hounded by the EPA. You know, Reaganomics is running wild. And in the end, they're getting killed by a corporate mascot. All because they didn't want to be regulated by the government. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. It's amazing. There's just, there's just destruction. And I, I still stand by it. Those, honestly, the, the, the amount of buildings that they destroy is you, just unreal. <laughs> you know, the, the stay puffed marshmallow man, there's, there's no pre, prerequisite that he would have to be massive. So whatever image they conjured up, are we thinking that Zor- that Goza would have come as a giant size version of that? Pretty much. Pretty much exactly that. That was exactly what the, the point was when he so came it, as the slaw and he came as right. something so, else and came as something else. But if they, if they said, we want you to come as a gerbil, he'd come as a giant Godzilla-like a gigantic, gerbil. A gigantic gerbil. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. But you forget that this is actually Goza. Yeah, Exactly. You know, the uh, Goza shows up for two minutes. The villain of the film is in it for like literally two minutes. Becomes a big giant white blob of of marshmallow, who does actually get quite scary when the face when the face yeah yeah, yeah. when he gets yeah 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 when he gets angry he's just like <laughs> and, and what actually happened? You know when they when the they're shooting the beams at him and then the fire goes back up in their faces. What yeah. was that? I I I'm guessing it was. 
marshmallow, marshmallows are sugary. And you, you know, you know, it's like when you microwave like jam or something. You set that <laughs> shit on fire, absolutely. <laughs> you go, you do it to a giant marshmallow, then it's gonna come back and bite you. As, as Turk said in in, in uh, Scrubs, that shit is like lava. <laughs> yeah. I postulate that people would have died with that amount of uh, Bro, marshmallow for right. them. Between, I, I think you're both on my bollocks card. So oh I'm man, gonna, I'm gonna between now. I'm with you, man. Between the building and the marshmallow and just the, loads of it. The marshmallow, I know I know I'm skipping slightly, but when, when the explosion happens and that marshmallow rains everywhere and they're all covered in friendly marshmallow, <laughs> I was like, you've just melted like everyone within like what a mile or two. Just yeah, absolutely. it's Skin like would be napalm. Falling off it's like if you've ever, <laughs> I, I, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, have you ever like cooked some marshmallow on a, on a, on a fire and then put it in your mouth? And it's like, oh. you can't, not only is it like burning you, you cannot get it out of your mouth. Yeah. Like, like again, the other, the other thing, the other thing I didn't really understand as well is why were they all covered except Peter? Because he's Peter Venkman, bitch. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, it's, I, I, gen, for me, I genuinely, genuinely feel, and again, maybe I'm reading too much into this. I genuinely feel that was kind of like Bill Murray being like, "No, no, no, they need to see it's me at the end." Mm. I, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, what? I'm, Why I'm, only I'm, you? I'm, I'm, I'm I did think it was I'm funny seeing. as well that the guy who was probably the most selfish and like the one who's a bit of a dick was the one who like hid behind. Gray or hid behind Elon or Winston. No, he was the one that was like, "No, I'm fucking fine." Like they're they're all stuck outside, and he's just like crammed in a hole somewhere. So exactly, I definitely, yeah. I guess. Okay, so are you but throwing a bollocks card? Bollocks card is going out purely because I was torn between the explosion and the molten marshmallow that would have just melted. <laughs> it would have destroyed everyone. So, like, like there was part, there was parts where the building, you know, when the building was falling off, uh, yeah. and then. Uh, it like one of the, the this gigantic brick landed perfectly on the small rail in between the entire. I was like, no, some people should have been crushed. Absolutely. Yeah. Let let alone the heat. Just the weight of that marshmallow should have destroyed yeah. some people. I wonder how many people actually died. As in, how many yeah, people? Do you know mean exactly? Died. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. With all the fallen debris, even before the marshmallow explodes, there's so much where it's just like this is. People were crowding around that building like it's fucking like it's a movie within a movie, and I'm like, yeah. get well, the fuck out of town! Absolutely, absolutely. Bridge. exactly. Exactly. The apartment had already blown up, and there was a wall yeah. missing on the apartment. Yeah, and exactly. they put the cr- like the 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 barriers the other side of the street. So I was like, right, so you've stopped anyone within ten feet of the building. The one safe space that everyone could probably stand and avoid debris. You've cordoned everyone <laughs> out of. <laughs> So, all right. So it's the time in the podcast where we give our scores. Everyone knows by now that each of us get a score out of ten, and a final score will be out of thirty. Of course, bollocks cards that you will have noted being thrown uh, at will uh, deduct from the overall uh, final points. So I will go first, and I will say very quickly: um, as a cherished family favorite, a divine guilty pleasure and for the world of ghostbusters that it it created you know this fun frenetic universe um i'd give it 20 out of 10 however <laughs> however objectively as a movie even with a supreme respect i have for its bold uh, refusal to adhere to the standard movie structures and its incredible chemistry between all involved it still isn't perfect 
you know, some wild holes exist that can be explained by the goofiness of the world, but you know, like why wouldn't like I said, why wouldn't Janine quit? Um how do they get away with having blue flashing lights on XO1? Uh why is Winston arrested? He's just an employee. All these things. And also, we haven't talked about it. It hurts to talk about it, but the terror dogs look fucking awful. Not not <laughs> not the puppet not the puppetry ones, not the animatronic ones. Oh no. When they're in motion and oh, Lord. it just looks terrible. Oh, it's oh, it's so it's so bad. <laughs> but it, it hurts because the film is so groundbreaking and most of it looks fan fucking tastic. Mm. So it's not a perfect film, and I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten. God damn. Nice, nice. Actually, I watched I watched this film twice before this podcast, um, and I don't know if I was really tired when I watched it the first time. Don't know if Bill Murray was just annoying me, etc. But I remember genuinely. I've got to admit, I was just gonna come on and bash this film. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Um, watching it again with kind of fresh eyes, it's like no, there's a lot of stuff that I can actually appreciate by it. But admittedly, there's a lot of st- and. And there's a lot of stuff that for me was, I personally find, I say groundbreaking is, is a word to use in the way that it's done specifically kind of the efficient use of effects. That being said, and obviously I threw bullets cards out as well. There's reasons for that. I've got to admit that I think genuinely because the rest of the cast is actually also so good. Peter Venkman does annoy the hell out of me. I cannot deny, <laughs> I cannot deny that at all for, what he brings, he also brings equivalent annoyance. Um, and that kind of takes away from the film. And for me, it kind of takes away from the world a little bit as well, because he's just so Bill Murray at certain points. Um, for that reason, I'm going to give the film a 7.5. Phew. I thought it was going to be, the way you were talking, I thought it was going to be fucking something something <laughs> egregious <laughs> but no okay so 7.5 for Anton um, Ian yeah so uh, the, the last couple of years I've definitely got a bigger appreciation for like horror genre in general which I think has changed a little bit uh, of my view of Ghostbusters um, something I've always loved growing up with I'm probably biased that I want to like it, even the parts that don't make sense or I don't like, um, are just are just brilliant. Um, this watching through the parts that stood out the most was just watching something I really appreciate. I know I've mentioned it before, but I really want to highlight it: understanding how to create horror, suspense, tension, hold it, and make you feel uncomfortable. This film nails and. The serious parts, I think, are what make this film just incredible. Um, absolute shout out to, you know, the director editing. And more importantly, I think the sound really, really done so well for this. Uh, every part of it. Uh, it's funny. It was still making me laugh. Um, the characters, uh, yeah, Venkman, definitely problematic. Uh, I definitely don't like. The scenes made me uncomfortable now. Rather than, I think growing up, he was like the charming, suave one who like swooped in and lived free, you know, didn't care about consequences stuff. And now I look at it, I'm like, yeah, it's just creepy and slimy. And I think he redeems himself a bit towards the end of it. And I'm glad the scene was in there because I did feel a little relieved seeing him uh, with Sigourney Weaver and, and having that scene where he doesn't take advantage, which, yeah, 
would have been a very different film if it didn't. But overall, oh, that, uh, <laughs> that would have been Ghostbusters, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'd just uh, be like busted. I think the special effects uh, hold up, except for like Ben said, the animated dogs looked pretty. I didn't like the the design of the dogs in general. I felt like they went for like a gargoyle feel, and it, it didn't pay off. But I didn't like the dogs in general. But the moving look made the film look way more dated than anything else in the film. The rest of it holds up. The music, uh, the script, uh, all of it. I think I could watch. Anyone could watch and enjoy now. Other than those dogs, I, I'd love, I wouldn't mind them maybe updated. <laughs> Someone just like, we're going to reanimate this and, and make if, it. Even if they literally just did just the dogs, right? It, that would, it yeah, would change just the, the film. dogs. It would only, change the film. Only because it feels like Jason and the Argonauts a little bit. Uh, bro, nailed it. That's exactly what I was like. So, did they use stop motion? That's genuinely yeah, exactly. what I asked myself. I, I, I heard that it took them three weeks to do like one second of animation on this. So, uh, you yeah. know. I feel terrible that it took that long to get these results. <laughs> but um, I'm going to stick oh, to the God. fact that I, I overall, I love the Ghostbusters. I love what the film created, the world they created. If you wanted to sit and analyze and, and go in way more detail, we could talk for hours about this film. Mm. So my new appreciation of horror along with the comedy. Uh, absolutely. I think this is a great film. Uh, so many good memories. Yeah. Marshmallow Man, right? Slimer, iconic. Uh, overall, I'm going to give it a 8 out of 10. Okay, so uh, with those scores of 9, 7.5, and 8 combined, that's 24.5 minus two bollocks cards, one thrown by Anton, one thrown by Ian. That rounds up with 22.5 out of 30, and that really, really breaks my heart. Fight Club's number one with 27 out of 30. But seeing as Dark Knight and The Departed have the same score, they should both be number two. Yeah. I'd agree with that. And then number three is 300. Then number four is Hot Fuzz. Number five is Snatch. And then joint sixth is Trading Day and Ghostbusters with 22.5 out of 30. The funny the thing, the, 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 in a weird way for me, the fact that Ghostbusters is a Trading Day kind of makes sense. <laughs> like those films are equally, they're really good. But there's like, there's just that little, there's just that little bit. It's just weird for me to see them where they are. Where it's just like, snatching hot fuzz but i think it's one thing i'm finding right is i rank when i watch things like i'm more critical of certain things depending on the type of film so for instance training day was probably got more criticism because it's a realistic film whereas films like charlie the chocolate factory and even ghostbusters i threw one bollocks card like i could have thrown a shitload of bollocks cards if, if we were being realistic quote unquote but because of the world they're in you don't really do that so it's more like does this fit in the world they're in? And there's just certain things that didn't. Like, yeah. you well, just Fight, can't... Fight Club avoided all bollocks cards because the entire film is in his head. So yeah. Exactly. exactly. So really, it's a weird one because it's like, even though it's realistic, it's like, yeah, absolutely. So it's like, it's in his head. He shoots mm-hmm. himself in the face like, really, I, didn't, I didn't throw a single... Mirror self. Absolutely. You know? So, Absolutely, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I as didn't. As opposed um, to a bollocks card for a marshmallow exploding, <laughs> not putting out the entire marshmallow. Who the fuck am I? <laughs> it's, like, it's so true because, like, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, I didn't throw a single bollocks card because it's like the guy has for 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 the better part like orange slaves making chocolate <laughs> around the world. It's like yeah. we've we've lost all sense of sanity anyway. So it's uh, it's about that time in the podcast where we need to make like Chevy and Chase. But before before we do, there's one more piece of business, and that is to decide what our next movie is going to be. Uh, By now, I sincerely hope that everyone at home knows how we 
work out what movie is going to be next. We've numbered uh, right now. I'm looking at the folder. Hold on. It's 43 different uh, files. There's oh, 43 files with um, each one numbered from 1 through 43. And I ask either Anton or Ian to randomly pick a number. And uh, we will then reveal to ourselves and the audience what our next movie is going to be. So with that in mind, um, Ian, please pick a number from 1 through 43. And yes, I do add movies um, when I think, oh shit, yeah, we watched that one. You know? Six. Okay, six. For the villain veteran, cast oh, vicariously six. as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate. Yeah. Non veneer is a vestige of the Vox Populi, now vacant and vanquished. Oh, badness! So, what, uh, Anton, do you know this one? Oh, my God, that station sounds vilified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and vernon vermin, vanguard and vice and vast Satan, the violent bitches and British violation of volition. Boom! <laughs> wow. Boom! I love that. I love that scene. The only verdict is vengeance. A vessel. Not in vain. Oh, wow. Oh, brilliant. So, Anton knows this film, I think. Um, does it come out clear? Because it's quite low. No, but yo, I heard it. I heard it. They didn't hear the film. They heard me. Next time on Back to the Pictures, uh, it appears that we will be dishing out some revolutionary thoughts on V for Vendetta. Nice. The incredible, to some, bit meh for others, 2006 uh, superhero dystopian sci-fi action film. That's like that's. I reckon this is going to be an interesting one. This is going to be great, and I think a lot of the themes are quite timely as well. Yeah, yeah, actually, it is now time where we say goodbye, and I thank my co-hosts. Firstly, Anton, you're very handy. I can tell. I bet you like to read a lot too. Uh, that's actually true. I do. But, uh, <laughs> but do you want to do your sign-off line? Okay. <laughs> um, and Ian. Oh, Zuli, you nut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so remember, folks, your futures haven't been written yet. No one's has. Your next picture is whatever you make it. So make it a good one.